Welcome to the life of a global desi. A podcast that connects like-minded desis all over the globe by conforming to stereotypes and breaking them. Introducing Life of a Global Desi interviews. Yes, we bring to you our conversations with remarkable global desis who are doing some truly cool things in life. The idea is to bring fresh perspectives, add diverse voices, and expand the global desi community. On to our episode now. The guest on today's show is Varun Singh, the Director for Strategy, Transformation and Consulting in the financial services industry based out of Gurgaon, India. His first love though are books, mostly fiction. You'll actually never catch him without one. He loves debating, anime and enjoys any challenging work. If he wasn't doing what he's currently doing, he would definitely have made a great lawyer, a legislator, or a quantum theoretical physicist. Hmm, I'm not really sure about that one. But uh, what really makes him tick are the innumerable things that are left to learn, people to meet, places to see, and things to try. Oh, of course, debates to have. Varun works really hard and parties much, much harder. I can vouch for that. So without any further ado, on to our episode now. Hello everyone. Today we have a very special guest on the podcast. One of my closest friends from undergrad, Varun Singh. Hey Varun, Hi. welcome. Hi Arjuna, hi Aarti. So, um, quick context. Varun and I went to undergrad, um, did engineering together and we've had some of the most fun conversations um, in college, did like a lot of crazy stuff. Everyone, like, you know, like everyone does in colleges in India mm-hmm. and uh, have been in touch since. In fact, more than in touch, we meet almost every December on really fun vacations. We've traveled all over the place. And so today we have him on our podcast Yay. and we're super excited. All right. So welcome, Varun. Yeah. So Arshna probably knows Varun since almost uh, a little over 10 years now. How long has it been since you know Varun? Actually, no 2004, way. 16, 16 years. years. Wow. Varun, I know. Thanks. 2004, <laughs> 2004, when we started um, undergrad. Wow, together. that's yeah. great. So you guys know each other for 16 years. This is for me to get to know you a little better. We're going to jump into the icebreaker. Well, to set some context, well, I, I know I called you Varun Bhaiya earlier. That's also because I'm so used to calling all of sis's friends, bhaiyas or didis. But for this podcast, for the purpose of this podcast, <laughs> I will try and refrain from calling you bhaiya. And um, so I've, I've known Varun uh, since... I guess just through all the weddings that have crashed of Sis's friends and also <laughs> Sis's wedding itself. That's true. And yeah. um, also one of the December trips you t- you take annually as your entire friends group, I crashed your cool trip. So yeah, that's how I have interacted with Varun. But I'm so excited about getting to know you more. Starting uh-huh. with the icebreaker question, which is, uh. if you could have dinner with any three people, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay, um, I have to think a little bit about that one. <laughs> That's a very unfair question. Like, I could I could totally have dinner with, like, 300 people. Uh, and I think <clears throat> Archana knows more. I'm a very social person. So it's very difficult to limit it to three people. But let's go with people that I yes. haven't had dinners with. Um, and then 
the three people would need to gel with each other and with me so that we would have a really fun dinner. Um, so I think I'll go with mm-hmm. Meryl Streep. Uh, and then probably Ellen. Ooh, oh, wow. I love that. And Good choice. I think the third fun person would be. Should I go with J.K. Rowling? Or I knew I it. With... I knew it was going to be J.K. Are Rowling. Are you Harry Potter head? <laughs> um, he is. Let's go with J.K. Rowling. Yes. No, wait, hang on. Let's do Lady Gaga. Yeah, and I think they'll, they'll, that'll be a really fun company to have dinner with. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> if you look at all three of them, they're amazing women at the top of their careers in a very male-dominated sort of spectrum. Uh, and all three of them are extremely pro-equal human rights, uh, and they're just amazing people. They do a lot of philanthropy, uh, they advocate for all the right things, and, you know, you can choose people from the past or the present, um, and there are probably 100,000 people who are doing amazingly well, but I think these are the kind of people who are role models to me, and if I had dinner with them, I thought I think it'll be a really fun dinner, because... You know, they're great at what they do, but they can also let their hair down when they need to. I love that. So that's the perfect combination. Cool. So we also want our listeners to get to know you a little more. So another question we had for you, Varun, was um, what were your early influences growing up in terms of maybe places, books, you know, people, the environment you grew up in? What shaped you? Yeah, um, I think uh, one of the things that comes pretty easily and quickly is that, you know, when you're an army kid, growing up is completely different from what most people would experience. So, um, mm-hmm. I, for example, people ask me, where do you belong or where's your hometown? And I actually don't have an answer, right? Uh, I've actually never lived in a place long enough to call it uh, my hometown where at least my relatives stayed. Um so when it comes to places, we moved every two to three years. We, I think I must have grown up in at least 20 different cities. Um, I, I, I actually had 13 schools. Wow. You beat us. You beat us. I think we, Arthi yes. and I are at maybe eight. <laughs> eight or nine. For me, seven. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty huge. And, and the other part is, you know, wherever you would go, people would be entirely different. And it's not like you have the luxury of time. Um, to sort of be picky and choosy about how you would interact with people. You had to make friends yep. almost right off the bat. Um, so, so it, you know, there's a, it's a combination of influences. You know, having a father who's in the army, having a mother who was, uh, you know, multiple roles. So she was a fashion designer. Um, you know, you could look at, yeah, she did an official course. She was supposed to go to Mexico. Uh, I'm saying Mexico, I mean, Moscow. Uh, and she mm-hmm. didn't because she had two young kids. Um, and, you know, she would have to move with dad when we got posted. She was a school teacher. Uh, and then I think what you can see with every army mom, they're amazing gardeners, cooks, <laughs> and interior decorators. And hosts. All by themselves, right? And hostess. <laughs> and hosts. Yeah. Uh, right? The um, endless parties that our moms have hosted. Yeah. Yep. It's incredible. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that really, really does grab on, um, and th- this is the cool part. So we didn't have a very specific identity. Technically, I'm a North Indian Hindu Rajput uh, by 
you know ethnicity um and religion combined but um we were never sort of uh, strong armed into religious beliefs we were told very specific things about our culture um but the one message that was always repeated and my parents repeated it was that your conscience would tell you what was right or wrong you actually didn't need a holy scripture or you know adults to tell you and it was a very open sort of dialogue at all times that if you felt something was wrong you said it right um and i think the focus came more externally than internally but it had that uh, application it came externally because you would move every 2 years and you would have to make friends with people that were unlike you mm-hmm. you would have to go to schools where you know there would be a mix of army kids that were from different areas as well as civilians that were local population of that areas and you had to continue giving respect to everybody um and it worked i mean you know to the question that you asked earlier um i don't have a single source of identity other than saying um you know i'm just a person who's unique in his own way but other than that we are all the same got it that is so beautiful. beautifully put thanks for sharing that and i think i would also like to add to that is that varun is probably the biggest potter head he loves harry potter <laughs> just for oh, yes. you know reference i forgot the books part right yeah that's the biggest um, part like that's how i remember you in college standing in line for the latest books to be released and being the first one to get your hands on the latest <laughs> copy that was and uh, having read it right before the exam like <laughs> yes. uh, i had the exam when when the sixth book was releasing um no actually uh Yeah the sixth book when it was releasing um I ha- I had an exam on the same day I got the book at 6 a.m. uh and I had read it by the time the exam was there which was 1:30 p.m. Whoa. Um so in that period I had read that book and that was a thick book but yeah I've been crazy about reading reading was always something that was very highly encouraged in my family um I think uh I you know at the very beginning by class 2 or 3 I had not only read uh i'd heard several times as well and read uh all the classics so huckleberry finn uh great expectations uh what do you call the uh hound of pascoville so a lot of sherlock holmes wow. stories all of these um joe's boys little women uh you mm-hmm. know and th- all of these classics that were really amazing and probably i read the abridged versions not the full adult versions but they were amazing stories right um and then i remember i was in class 3 uh, and i was in the school called dav public school amritsar and they had like a multi story building dedicated as a library That's uh and they had every Enid Blyton book that you can think of and i read all the ones you know the ones about oh, pixies yeah, and brownies and stuff like that yeah. all the way till famous 5 secret 7 adventure seven. series absolutely i read all of them i was i was the only kid in school who was allowed to take uh, who was issued 10 books a week like you were only allowed uh one no two fiction and one like a course book and they allowed me to take 10 books home a week and i would still re- return them by friday loved reading that's so delightful <laughs> yeah and and i think any 90s kid associates with that right books were such a large <laughs> part of our childhood and and, and tv was restricted we didn't have phones or tablets or laptops so i absolutely agree with you there the places that we were posted in there was barely any cable and television sets were very um, you know uncommon 
Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Varun. That's beautiful. Um, I think it helps our listeners get to know you a little better in terms of what your influences were. So one of the things we want to do on the Global Desi podcast is really put ourselves in someone else's <laughs> shoes, right? Especially when the experience is very distinct from ours. And so Varun, I know I've been part of this journey with you. Um, and I really w- hope that um, our listeners can learn and try to understand uh, different perspectives on this podcast. So my question to you is, when did you first realize that you identified as being queer? Um, I actually don't know. I think I think I had an inkling somewhere all the way back to class six, uh, which is probably when I was, what... Uh, 11 years old, 11, 12. Yeah, but um, something that, I, you know, I'd mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. my parents had always taught us that it was, your, you know, conscience that decided what was right or wrong. It was not a very talked about subject. And um, given that there was no internet, there was not a lot of access. Um, so I just didn't know. I think um, it, it was all the way to class 11th or 12th when somebody actually told me that there was a term uh, for, you know, how I felt. But um, even then, it didn't have a sort of scarring impact. Like, I think by then the roots had been laid so strongly that I didn't feel different. I didn't feel like I was uh, something that was unacceptable or something, you know, somebody who was any different. I, I think I sort of realized it a lot more in college. But even there, I was surrounded by such an amazing mm-hmm. sort of group of friends. Uh, and by then, you know, my personality had developed to the point where I could take on what, you know, most people would probably consider bullying, but I, I would fight it back on an equal footing. So it never came out like getting bullied. Like I would always crack a joke back if somebody tried cracking a joke. Um <laughs> But I understand some very real world sort of consequences of it. I mean, for anybody who's felt even slightly different, I mean, look at you guys, you guys, uh, you know, sitting in another country, you're Indians, whether or not, let's say in the office space, you have an extremely robust culture of inclusion, you always feel a slight bit of difference. It's not that it's bad or it's, uh, you know, it's absolutely, uh, but it's you you sort of made to notice it. Right. Uh, And then think of feeling like that constantly. Right. Because the older you grow, I think young Mm. people don't do it as much. At least in India, there's not as much uh, bullying or hate, uh, you know, with younger people. the, The older you grow, the more it seems like people get rigid and they sort of make you feel like you're a different person. You're outside. Uh, and then there are some cultural, you know, social connotations that also make you feel like that. Um, <clears throat> marriage is one of them. If you don't have marriage equality, uh, you're always going to feel... I mean, when, when somebody tells you you don't have the right to, right? When you look at your peers and friends and colleagues, uh, you know, getting married and having kids, um, it's, it's just an observation mm-hmm. thing where you start feeling more and more different, right? So I think... Uh, 
realizing that I was queer is a lifelong journey and it gets worse with time rather than better. Uh, it was better much earlier. Um, and and not to the point that it gets worse with time. It just means that you observe more and more things that you expect out of life not coming your way. But you also get to meet, you know, thousands of people who are fighting the good fight, uh, setting examples. And I'm, I'm super thankful. Uh, I feel if I wasn't queer, there are so many life experiences that I would have missed out on. So not going to trade it off. And uh, yeah still finding out what being queer is all about. Thanks for sharing that. That's uh, beautiful and really relate to a lot of things there, even in terms of just making people making you feel like the other, right? It could be anything, exactly like you mentioned, both Aarti and I having traveled and even for you when, you know, we travel outside of India, there's always this sense of you're different from others. And um, I think that definitely resonated in what you shared there. Just at a more individual level and at a societal level, you know, how hard was the process for you in terms of, and you mentioned it's a journey, it's a continuous journey that's, um, you know, that never really ends for all of us. Um, what challenges would you say you faced at an individual level when you started sharing with people your truth and how did you overcome them? Um, I, okay, uh, so definitely, you know, uh, one of the sort of, privileged few, the lucky few, to not have had to go through something that was extremely tough. I mean, my parents were super chill about it. My friends were super chill about it. It's not that it wasn't a journey. I think I I simply can't seem to remember or focus on the difficult parts. Uh, for some people, it, it does have a scarring impact. Um, but in my case, <clears throat> I think by the time... And I came out when I was 16. By the time I came out, I was already given the love and support that makes a wholesome person, right? Mm -hmm. So um, from a challenges point of view, I don't think there was any specific challenge for me. But again, the comments, they, they're always there, right? You come out to a straight uh, cis male friend and they'll always think, oh, you're not going to try and hit on me and you're like have you seen yourself in the mm. mirror <laughs> I love that <laughs> like uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's, it's just one of those things right and and the other part I think surprisingly I was extremely lucky uh, even post college and even during college uh, um, sure so yeah I, one of the things was I was super into somebody who was in, to, in the closet and that had um, that was sort of toxic mm. for a while Right. Um, because you can't force another person out of the closet unless they're comfortable with it. Um, but, uh, you know, I think especially in partnerships uh, or attempted partnerships, uh, a person who's in the closet may not have, you know, may feel anger towards somebody who's outside because it's the other person is making it look easy irrespective of what they had to go through right um so that that was a that was a tough seven eight years um you know the initial trying to date someone part um and then i was extremely lucky when it came to work i joined a company where the ceo was queer hmm. Um, my first, my hiring director was queer. Wow. Uh, and yeah, obviously all based out of the US. I was working for the Indian side. Um, but in general, an extremely accepting and amazing sort of uh, organization. Um, and 
you know it's always top driven down so i didn't feel that pinch in uh my previous organization but in my current organization i definitely felt it and i again something that i didn't realize or recognize because i was super confident with myself i was you know i didn't feel the need to be out at the time but it wasn't something that was i was guarding as a secret or i wasn't taking my full self to the work i actually saw somebody else um you know uh get bullied and then i saw uh you know uh, yet another colleague trying to launch the pride chapter and the kind of resistance that they were met with and the kind of comments that we heard in the process of launching that chapter that's when i realized that you know i really need to step up and step in front and be an out and visible person uh because if i don't uh there are going to be many more who are not in the same circumstances as i am and they're going to have very tough times in the organization that's so brave and, and, and so fascinating varun thanks for sharing that yeah absolutely and so i had a question for you which is both sis and i are like big bollywood heads in some ways and also hollywood heads <laughs> so but from what i entertainment, yeah, entertainment in, general. in general but from what i remember yeah. in the 90s I feel like uh, queer people were often portrayed mm-hmm. in Hindi cinema in kind of like a reductive manner, usually as a comic relief or like butterfall jokes kinds. And like Hollywood yeah. seemed to do a better job of it. Like I remember Philadelphia that came out nineteen ninety three, and in in some ways Hollywood was like ahead of its time. And I think Karan Johar kind of tried to make this whole idea of. being queer more palatable for the closed off indian audience through movies like dostana kal hona ho student of the year mm-hmm. and rec- and more recently we have more realistic yeah. responsible representation of uh, queer perspectives in entertainment uh, with movies with you know short films like bollywood yeah. talkies uh, call me by your name okay more again international but kapoor and sans made yeah. in heaven so point to you know according to you Uh, what role does pop culture play in either aiding or diminishing like education around being queer well pop culture you know plays an important role in any sphere not just in you mm-hmm. know queer culture um, it, it, it's a fun thing that we are highly entertaining people ourselves and <laughs> we're full of talent when it comes to dramatics uh, so uh, yeah i mean when it comes to movies it does make uh, a little more influence but uh, you know what it's not that bollywood didn't attempt it there are movies uh, i think fire mm-hmm. was one of them fire uh, and then uh, which are a lesbian relationship mm-hmm. and then uh, we had my brother nikhil which was That's on the true. same lines yeah, as philadelphia sure. uh, we had i am which is i think the same star as um, mm-hmm. uh, you know my brother nikhil but philadelphia as well did not portray what it was supposed to portray like it was not a completely realistic mm-hmm. portrayal it was about a man fighting a case his partner was sort of deemed you know and slightly irrelevant to the movie plot mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. um yeah this was and, and, washington and, right who was the yeah and this is, yeah this is yeah and and antonio banderas was the you know partner mm-hmm. who was sort of not mentioned m- too much in the movie um lead. Yeah, I think I think the thing to keep in mind is that by the end of it movies are made for entertainment and they're made for making money, right? And I've heard a few queer directors say they will make these 
subject and art and you know sort of um uh, movies that speak out about a a problem statement but it does hold back from the creative process because sometimes they think that you might lose the creative process in trying to portray a message right mm-hmm. um and, and it's been the same with any other thing that you can think of whether it's portrayal of Asians or blacks uh, you know or African Americans in um, uh, you know in Hollywood films especially uh, Arab uh, you know uh, countries being portrayed and Arab nationalities and ethnicities being portrayed uh, so we've to come to a point where for people who are watching the movies right it is more palatable right because it's not it's it works both ways you can make a movie that nobody wants to watch um but you know some people will watch it and it might change their mind but the other part is people have to go, want to go and see a movie that mm. may not represent the reality that they believe in but does exist right and yeah. i i love uh, what one of my coworkers said they said you know um and they said this about my company they said the culture is a safe one and one that is rapidly evolving to reflect the real world around us right mm-hmm. uh that's what we have to become we have to rapidly evolve to see the world around us as it is not as we see it fit Wow, absolutely. It makes me what you just said gave me some insight into Karan Johar's head too in terms of what he's trying to do, right? I mean, there is no malice there. I think it's coming from a good place too. Yeah. It's one of those things if you want to really do something then go ahead and do it. You can't point at somebody else and say you should be doing this, right? And that's what Agreed. happens. A lot of people will just criticize because they want to be morally correct, but when it comes to taking action, they're not taking that action. Mm. So mm. you take the first action and then you can sort of guide other people, lead other people rather than criticize them into doing the right thing. To your point about just that about taking action, what do you think the reading down of section 377 did for the LGBTQ movement in India? And what still remains to change post that? Yeah, I mean, uh this is a question that I've answered once before and it's it's not a small, you know, it's not a quick and short question. You have to look at India in its entirety, uh get to where that law has come from and then what it means for the people. I mean, this is, you know, an over 5000 year old civilization that's been invaded and invaded again first by the moguls and then colonized by the british uh you know and they weren't the only influences uh, everybody you know the portuguese were trying to get uh, a hold on us uh the dutch were trying to get a hold on us so yeah i mean uh, it's an amalgamation we integrated with everybody that invaded us we sort of you know welcomed them in although it had a lot of other sort of consequences where we lost a lot of our traditions which were overridden we still sort of integrated and um 377 was brought in as part of you know the colonial era that's why it's the same law that applies to several countries in the southeast asian subcontinent uh because it was the british that put in a uh, 377 now a couple of things to understand is um 377 says sexual practices against the order of the nature but does not describe what they are the second thing is um when you look at indian you know the oldest indian languages we had over 50 uh, words for different sexual and gender identities so pali prakrit uh sanskrit uh you know we had multiple sexual and gender identities that were uh, acceptable and they were eroded by this law which was uh, you know placed in and once we got our independence um uh, 
you know, it was included into our constitution and nobody made any provisions because this was the law that they tried to use to prevent, uh, you know, um, to prevent, you know, molestation of uh, minors, right? Um, so that's how the law was being used. We didn't actually codify the law uh, till the late 80s, I believe. And even in that, we did not include uh, boys. We included girls, but we didn't include uh, boys when it came to minors. So the law had its sort of, um, you know, acceptance. It wasn't that the general public was against homosexuality vocally, but the law was being misused and abused by the, let's say, police uh, to sort of extort gay men. Um, and very specifically gay men, because, you know, for none of the other sort of... Uh, spectrum LGBT in the uh, any uh, members of the LGBTQ community other than gays were sort of caught under 377. Um, but yeah, once the, you know, ideally it should have been repealed by parliamentary process. That sort of gives citizens the confidence that the government is making strides and moves ahead. But it was a Supreme Court that had to intervene. I mean, Delhi High Court read it down in 2009. Um, Supreme Court sort of reversed it in 2013, I believe. And then, uh, you know, it was finally read down in 2018 in Supreme Court. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite an up and down. Um, people are sort of getting used to it. But I think the biggest challenge that we faced as the LGBTQ community is that we have no resources for ourselves. So to educate others comes later. We, we are not even able to educate ourselves. Uh, if the internet has been there for 10 years. Dating apps have been there for five years. We don't even know what a relationship should look like. We don't know what to expect from it, right? Um, I mean, two men or two women dating, it's not the same dynamics as a man and a woman. And even that in India has been heavily prescribed through traditional arranged marriages. So... Uh, you know, when two accepting, loving partners want to be with each other, they actually have no role models. So it, we're making great strides. I mean, a lot of people are moving forward. A lot of organizations are pitching in, including corporates, which is a really great thing. We have pride in a lot of cities now. Uh, and uh, I think the next fight is towards uh, non-discrimination laws, towards marriage equality. There's a long way to go ahead. Uh, I think things have improved. Uh, but they don't change overnight. Uh, the only thing that I'm always sort of telling people who say, oh, you know what, this happened, eventually that will happen, is that while people are sort of putting this aside and then they're saying, okay, fine, you know, we agree, we don't agree, uh, oh, you know, eventually the courts will change the law, in that time, somebody's life is passing them by. The other thing is we've learned this over and over again. We've learned this from other nations. We've learned this with other sort of, uh, you know, uh, sections of uh, society. So why does it always take us 20 years to integrate women into leadership and then 20 years to integrate African-Americans into leadership and then 20 years to integrate Asians into leadership and now 20 years to integrate, uh, you know, uh, LGBTQ people into leadership and then 20 years to integrate people with uh, disabilities into uh, leadership. I mean, how, how many times do you need to learn the same lesson over and over again? And how many times, you know, am I supposed to coach you on something? I mean, you're straight you and you're cis, you ex 
expect me to use certain pronouns. You expect me to understand how your life goes uh, because I should know that inherently. Then why am I supposed to educate you? You're supposed to take the onus of educating yourself to treat somebody the way you expect to be treated by them. Absolutely. 100% agree. Um, and, and definitely there's such a long way to go. To your point, history repeats itself, and but we never seem to learn from it. But to your point, Varun, you mentioned a little earlier about what we can learn from other communities, other societies uh, around the world. How do you compare your experiences or the conversations that are happening around being part of the LGBTQ community in India versus your travels around the globe, right? You've, you've definitely worked in the US as well. So how do you compare those two? I mean, uh, it's an unfair sort of <clears throat> comparison uh, given that your social or cultural nuances might be quite different, right? And the other part is uh, each country has, you know, or each area, location, you know, if it's a state in the US has gone through its own battle. So to undermine it, to say, oh, they have it, and we don't like to say, you know, it's not to imply that they have it easily, right? Um, every country has gone through its mm -hmm. own sort of journey to get where it is, uh, and India is as well. Uh, the only thing is, uh, and even in those countries, I don't think they have been 100% successful. Making the law does not change uh, the global community's sort of mindset, right? Uh, now, there are, there are very specific obstacles to um, creating an equitable and equal world for uh, LGBTQ individuals. I think one of the biggest challenges is how people interpret religion. Now, India has every religion on the planet, so we have every kind of discrimination that you can think of, but that also means we also have every kind of sort of learning to uh, go from. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I think... It's, it's not too bad. It, it would be nice if we had the same level of education, if we had the same level of investment, if we had the same level of uh, freedom of you know, rights and laws applicable. But uh, we're, we're on a journey. We'll get there. So in the spirit of educating and being edu educating ourselves, um, what is a common myth about the LGBTQ? community and can you debunk it for us uh, common myth I mean uh, think of it this way it's a it's a myth that is meant to keep people that are not like you and that's not specific to the LGBTQ community but whatever it is that you don't like about them whether it's mm -hmm. your you know sort of religious opinion or uh, anything else that you can think of um, you know, myths that are meant to keep communities apart and to ensure that other people are not treated in the same manner as you are, uh, they're just wrong. I mean, by the end of it, um, I think the thing that gets to people most is not a specific myth. The myth is just a factor that overlays uh, their thought process, which is... Um, you break it down to, to you, you, you consider the other person just one sexual act and nothing more. Mm. I mean, 
you know my personality is so much more i'm i'm a son i'm a brother i'm a friend i'm uh, somebody's boss at work mm-hmm. i report into somebody at work i you know um i i lead the pride chapter for my organization um there there's so many things so many parts to an another person that you just gloss over with this tag of lgbtqia right it's it's no more a part of our personality than being heterosexual is a part of you know a heterosexual person's um identity or the the amount of pigment in your skin uh dictates how you think right so um whatever the myths are whether it is that we you know we have an agenda we have a lifestyle that we are here to convert other people i think that's the one i think that's the one i want to address that we are here to convert other people god no <laughs> i mean we don't want other people to go through the kind of <laughs> crappy lives that we go through we won't wish it on our mm-hmm. worst enemies if that helps right there's no agenda we don't want more people on our side i mean mm-hmm. till the time the world doesn't change we hope that every kid uh that is born it doesn't have to go through the sort of uh you know um doesn't have to live in the world that you we have created today i mean imagine this a transgender adult is 47% of transgender uh, adults ideate or attempt suicide as opposed to 4% of average population um mental health issues uh you know one in four adults is likely to have severe mental health issues uh lgbtq populations the number doubles one in every two i mean we're definitely doing something grievously wrong here right as an as a society as a community um and you, you just need to sort of get over it i mean your personal homophobia doesn't hurt anybody as long as it's personal but the moment you think it's you know dictated by god or uh you know um, that they're going to ruin marriage institutions or they want to convert your kids every individual just wants to live their life and you know that's the request please let them live their lives if anything they might contribute to society and make it a little better um you know alan turing played such a major role in uh saving so many lives and you know ensuring that the allies won against Absolutely. the nazis uh mm-hmm. but it's only years after his death that he was posthumously sort of uh pardoned and granted knighthood but he was chemically castrated and driven to suicide right and for all his mm-hmm. brains and for all of his yep. you know nationalism and his you know uh ability to make the world a greater place people didn't see him beyond one sexual act so beautifully put varun um i think it it really brings yeah. home the fact that we as a society are have have always been afraid of the other right the other can be like you mentioned caste gender sexuality uh, the color of your skin mm-hmm. your ideology your thoughts um and i think it's high time we all look within ourselves to to try and see why there is that insecurity and why we are afraid and 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 really open up the dialogue and conversation and i think you've really helped us do that um on this episode so thank you so much for that lastly what advice would you give someone who is considering coming out and 
alternately, what advice on the flip side of that, right? What advice would you have for family and friends uh, to be a true ally in someone's coming out journey? Yeah, I mean, um, for somebody who's coming out, uh, that's a that's a journey that everybody has to take on their own. Now, uh, frankly, you know, heterosexual people don't have to come out. Um, cis male and females don't have to come out, right? Um, so you don't have to come out in the sense, uh, don't, we've worded it like coming out, but you, you're not coming out. You know, other people need to open their eyes and see who you really are. This is, you know, this is their journey. You already know who you are. I love that. Um, and I always say this, you know, yeah. I love that, yeah, <laughs> you know, Gosh. if you want to show respect and love to somebody else. Self-respect and self-love are extremely crucial. So um, you you have to be at peace with yourself and you have to love yourself. And if you find it hard doing that because you listen to the outside voices too much, then there are other voices that will support you, right? There are groups, there are uh, people who will understand you and love you for who you are and you need to reach out to them and you need to talk to them. Um I know it's difficult to break ties with family uh, and, you know, and friends, but are they really family and friends uh, if they don't accept you for who you are? Then you need to find yourself a new family and friends. Obviously, you have to give everybody time. I think for families, what is very important is when somebody, you know, when a queer person comes out, and I've given this advice to several families, that take your time to process, take your time to, uh, you know, learn and educate yourself. Uh, and if after all of that you can't accept, then that's a different thing. But your instant reaction cannot be of hate and worse, disappointment, right? Outright hate is sometimes easier to deal with than hate. Um, so if if your child comes out to you, or, you know, or a family member comes out to you, you should say, we love you. And if you don't understand, you can say, I need more time to understand this. But do not show hate or disappointment uh, because that will fracture somebody's mm -hmm. <clears throat> uh, personality. And That's fantastic. Um, and I yeah. think you've, you've pretty much brought it all home with that. Thank you, you so much. Yeah. Yes, you absolutely have. And from all of your conversation and our conversation that we've had today, I have had so many takeaways. Uh, even to your point just about the whole coming out piece, right? Like as a cisgendered woman, like um, having a good relationship with myself is also something that, you know, all of us might still be struggling with, right? And there's so many layers and uh, just just... I just really appreciate how your entire perspective has been, uh, first of all, super enlightened from your side, but also enlightening. Um, yes. Also, just how broad it's been in terms of how empathetic you are towards where other people are coming to coming from, just capturing so many broad perspectives. It's been all encompassing in some ways and just so level-headed and optimistic too. Like, yeah. I think you <laughs> definitely had such an underlying current of just optimism in each and every one of your responses. And it was just super inspiring. Thank you so much for yeah. sharing. Yeah, don't keep that up. And I think you're the ever optimist. And, <laughs> and um, you know, that's one of the reasons I think our friendships also, you know, kept on for so many years because you have such positive vibes going. Keep it up. So proud of you. <laughs> 
And so finally, what does the term global desi mean to you, Varun? Because you're on a podcast, which is called Life of a Global Desi. So how do you identify as a global desi? Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, technically, if you're global, should you even be desi? But I think uh, the... Uh, <laughs> hmm, I, that's I, interesting. Something yeah. for us to I think know. about. Yeah, no, I, no, but I, you know what? You can be a global desi because I think it was us who coined uh, the phrase Vasudev Kutumbukam, which means, you know, um, the entire world is my home, hmm. right? Um, y- 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 they do these DNA tests now to see where you're originally from. I mean, you really don't need to do that. We're part of one race, right? We're all the children of one God, no matter which God you believe in. Um, and uh, no matter, you know, whether it's our looks, uh, the pigment in our, of our skin, whether it's our cultures, whether it's our, um, you know, uh, uh, sexual orientations, our gender identities, uh, by the end of it, we are all aspiring, you know, to live a good and happy life, right? Uh, and I think that's what Global Desi is uh, sort of uh, implies, right? We Desi or Indian, um, we believe in community and family and, you know, in being together as a well-knit group. And the moment we become global, we we spread that message to everybody else. I love that word. I love yeah, so many that. things, so many light bulb moments on this on this uh, episode, and hopefully for our listeners too. Um, thank you for sharing that perspective, Varun. We absolutely loved uh, having you on. And where can our listeners find you, and how can they reach out to you? Well, I'm I'm active on LinkedIn and Instagram. Not a super social media person, but you can find me on um, Instagram at um, Looney Mooney Twenty Nine. So there's another uh, Harry Love Potter it. reference for you. Uh, thank and, you so and, much. And thank, yep. thank you guys. I had an amazing time and it's always um, you know, fun talking to you guys. And uh, I think what you're doing is beautiful. It's amazing. I think uh, that's what we need to do. We need to talk more Aww. with more people, get their sort of views, you know, pass them out, let people have their views and listen to those. And uh, just, mm-hmm. you know, sort of address all these major and minor topics because the world is full of you know a lot of good things and a lot of bad things right now and there is no prioritization for if even one person if it is impacted by one issue we need to talk about it and it's amazing that you guys are doing that and you're bringing fun and joy and probably you know even hope to so many people Thank you so much. Oh, yeah, it, it definitely so makes us feel great. And thanks for being part of the conversation. Absolutely agree that we just want to keep up yeah. the dialogue and hope that people stay curious and, you know, keep listening to each other. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's really our mantra here. So thank you, Varun. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Hey, Daisies. If you enjoyed this episode, then please rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening to podcasts. And drop us a note on lifeofaglobaldesi at gmail.com or our social media to keep up this awesome dialogue. Oh, and don't forget to give us a five-star rating. You're so cheap. Why are you asking them for (laughs) five-star ratings? Well, I always ask for the rating I want, not the one I have. You know, like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. That's like the stupidest thing I've heard all day. 
Are they so judgmental? Well, you need to stop being listen, judgmental. I just think you can't be so demanding. That's all. You ask for what you want. Bah. 